Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. And the beautiful Hill Country, it's going to rain any moment. I know it. I just made that up. Hi, good uh, good afternoon. This is uh, Patrick Tampone. It's going to rain. It will, it will rain. OneRadioNetwork.com. Sorry, we're just a few minutes behind. We scheduled this for noon, but everything is fine. You're going to have fun. You're going to meet some people that, that I met at the Dripping Springs Farmer's Market here in the beautiful Hill Country. Uh, and uh, uh, Orion and Tina. And I, I knew their last name, because, but I never, oh, and it, I knew their last name, Weldon. Weldon, and they're uh, they got a great spot in in Austin, and uh, they're great products. And we're going to just learn about them and figure out what they do for a living, and talk to them and have some fun. And and uh, here we are, Tina and Weldon. Hi, thanks for coming on. And all right, thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah, you look you look great. What a couple! You guys should get married. <laughs> <laughs> we thought so too about seven years ago, and here we are. Seven years ago. <laughs> So just to, to lay the groundwork, you have a regenerative farm and lots of piggies and chickens and you're going to do lammies, right, soon, someday. And it's in um, Austin, right, in, in southwest Austin. Spicewood. Uh, mm-hmm. Spicewood, uh, Spicewood, Texas. And you, have, mm-hmm. you go to the farmer's markets to sell your products and that's where I met you guys. And Atina, I remember the first time you were there by yourself before I even knew Orion and... And then I saw your little tummy growing, and then you weren't there anymore, and then you had a baby, Leonis, and then I saw you after that, and then you look like you're, you're a supermodel. I mean, what's up with that? So I want to start with that, because <laughs> I think there's a lot of ladies that would uh, um, like to know of how you did, the, the, what your diet was, and how you told me when, after I talked to you that you had a pretty easy birth, right, with Leonis. I did, yeah. I had a, a home birth, and he was he was ready to come out in just three and a half hours. Wow. Uh, so my water broke at midnight. He was born at three thirty five in the morning. Wow. Um, hmm. Yeah, and I had a pretty. I was very lucky to have a very easy pregnancy. I worked with a midwife, two midwives for the birth, mm-hmm. and and everything went smoothly. I think, you know, a lot of that is luck. A lot of that is genetics that I can't change. But in addition to that, I did follow a whole foods-based diet with a lot of pasture-raised meat, and I stayed active. And I think those are some really key components. Uh, so the whole time you were working on your farm that we're going to look at, and mm-hmm. you think that was a component to having an easy birth of moving around a lot during the pregnancy? I think so. I was told as well by my midwife that staying active is key. Um, and I've also heard that a lot of women in agriculture end up having easier birth stories um, because we're just we're so connected to the life cycle every day. We watch animals give birth. We we are huh. involved in that process, and so our our bodies are attuned to it already. And so, you know, a lot of people ask me ahead because this was my first child. Are you afraid of the birth and 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 labor? And it's going to be so painful. And and of course, there were some first time jitters and nerves. You know, I'm not superhuman, <laughs> but it was it was an easier concept, I think, for me than some because I just have that as part of my day to day. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Orion, were you around, or did they just tell you to go in the other room and leave us alone, or what did you do? Oh, I was, I was <laughs> around, and it was only me until the last twenty three minutes. No kidding. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So if I can tell this part, sure. uh, 
the the birth the water as she said the water broke happened at midnight and uh i had to get up to go to the bathroom and i saw that the bathroom light was on and i was mildly annoyed that we had left the light on <laughs> but then when i came around the corner i saw that tina was standing in the middle of the bathroom and she had this weird stance and she had this odd look on her face and i said babe are you okay and she kind of like, like, almost like a zombie, just kind of looked over at me like this. And she goes, I'm trying to figure out if my water just broke. And then all of a sudden there's, you know, fluid dribbling onto the floor. And she goes, I'm not peeing. <laughs> and that was that it. So we called the midwife. And, you know, contractions started immediately. Really? So she went into, yeah, she went into active labor contractions immediately. And so we called the midwife and the midwife, uh, Kind of, she's amazing and she just kind of thought that we were overreacting and first that, time parents all that you know, we don't know what's going on because she's in austin and it is an hour drive so her drive is no joke and so she didn't want to come out here if she still had because it's you know it's literally 1 a.m um if she could come at you know 6 or 7 a.m or something and get at least some rest um and then we called her back 30 minutes later and we were like this is absolutely active labor and she could hear tina screaming in the background she goes certainly sounds like active labor <laughs> so that's a yeah, screaming we'll woman <laughs> yeah uh, we'll see you soon and so uh yeah i drove out here and uh from the moment she walked in the door baby leonis was in our arms 23 minutes later whoa is that yeah, right she just barely got there in time <laughs> tina i almost had to deliver the baby myself <laughs> You could have probably, right? It probably did. He, he did this. He just came right out, huh? It's pretty easy. He did, but you don't know ahead of time, yeah. right? Yeah, what are you so, gonna do, right? You know, yeah. Now, in reflection, we would have probably been okay, but in the moment, you're like, I really hope that midwife gets here. <laughs> sure, because you don't know. I mean, I'm not you, sure. I'm not sure how graphic you want to get on this. No, show. No, that's fine. Yeah, people, there, I, I think it's good. There was a moment where we're doing the exercises, and I'm pressing on her hips mm -hmm. to relieve the pressure. Um, and I'm going back and forth because we were planning on having a water birth. So we're filling the water tub <laughs> and we end up not using the tub at all because he came out so quickly. So like the tub was only like one third full when the baby's already out. So we just didn't use the tub at all, but I'm, I'm going back and forth between relieving <laughs> pressure on her hips and filling the tub. And at one point she's like, Orion, I think the baby's coming. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think like, we're going to do the tub thing. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Okay, here we go. So I thought it was going to be, you know, catching catching baby. Tina, it's the first time when you when you have the the pain of, of the of the contractions and the childbirth itself. Is there any way to describe that for moms who are thinking about doing this but are scared? You know, kind of saying like. I think the the predominant thought in my mind when it when the real pain started was that I just knew I would make it through mm -hmm. that i had to remember that we've been doing this as women for so long and i had to just trust and surrender to the whole process and know that my body would take care of it and if my body couldn't then i had professionals on the way yeah um and so i think just a big part of it was just a mental surrender and you just start to get pretty meditative with the contractions as they come on do you yeah uh, and i i was lucky to have a fast labor you know, there are pros and cons. If you have a fast labor, it means that your contractions are very are more intense because the baby is moving out of you more quickly. Mm -hmm. And so those contractions tend to be more painful, but sh 
a shorter duration versus a longer labor where it builds up to that peak pain, but it takes longer and you're exhausted at the end. Um, and so I, I feel like I had more stamina to get through the whole process because it just ultimately didn't wear me out for 12, 14, 16 hours yeah. until the baby came. Yeah. And that I, w- I did feel very blessed for. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, and the baby's adorable. Leona's, I think we have a picture of the baby. Well, we have it somewhere. Yeah. Um, so how long have you both been eating like a real, probably a more meat and fat-based diet, right? More meat and fat-based, is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, we our, our diet is very varied. I would say it is meat and fat-heavy, protein and fat-heavy. Uh-huh. Uh, I grew up in a very uh, healthy household and was actually a vegetarian as a teenager for really? seven years Whoa. for moral reasons. I didn't want to participate in industrial agriculture from a young age. Um, but that didn't serve my body. Ultimately, I needed more iron, I needed more protein, B12 specifically. Um, And so I actually ended up contracting Lyme disease when I was uh, 12, 12 years old. And my doctor told me I had to start eating pasture based meat, especially organ meat products. And so I had this moral conflict within me where I wanted to stay vegetarian, but my doctor was saying I couldn't and so hmm. I started working on farms in order to feel justified in participating in uh, eating meat again. And that's actually how I we came to where we are now is because I started working on farms to eat meat to save my life. Oh, so you wanted to kind of just see the whole uh, system and how it all worked with mom and dad and the babies and before you would start to eat them. Not just see nope. the system, but be involved in be it involved and be in. okay with it. Involved in a system, a family farm system, a small-scale agricultural system, where I would feel good about eating that particular meat, not just meat in general. Mm-hmm. Is that where you two met then? No, we actually met uh, in the middle of Manhattan oh, sure. at a climate protest, <laughs> marching, marching down the street. So, yeah, no kidding. That's great. Yeah, yeah, we were that the the largest, except for. Uh, until the women's march actually no uh, until uh she's greta thunberg and the kind of global mm-hmm. climate march that was the previous record holder for uh, the largest climate march yet to happen held by 350.org this is back in 2014 i see yeah we were both part of the rutgers contingent of students that came to march and um i was a graduate student at the time she was an undergrad and uh I just had no idea who she was and started talking to her. And by the end of the March, we pretty much were enthralled with each other. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So what did you, graduate school, what, what did you study, uh, Orion? What, were you, what was your major? My background is actually in conservation ecology. Conservation ecology. Yeah. And so I am here in my journey to regenerative agriculture to save threatened and endangered wildlife, specifically birds. So I came at regenerative agriculture and meat from a wildlife perspective, not from a human health perspective. Hmm. Hmm. So in my research for my dissertation, I was in the middle of studying threatened and endangered birds and using modern technology, uh, LIDAR technology and modern Bayesian statistics to pair up uh, forest structure 
with breeding bird distribution and try to make predictive maps of how where these birds are and how we can restore habitat. But uh, all of my research kept coming down to landscape change, mainly due to agriculture. And so after years and years and years, I thought, well, it's, it's agriculture that needs to change. Hmm. Uh, there's so much land coverage and uh, it's just been so degraded because of these practices. And it, it was in the middle of that, that I discovered regenerative agriculture. And so uh, it was actually something that I was secretly thinking about and I didn't tell anybody. And uh, Tina and I were kind of on our first real date going into the city to go dancing. <laughs> and uh, she said, so what do you, what do you want to do after your dissertation? And I, and I, I knew that I really liked her. So I was like, you know what? I am going to tell her the truth. <laughs> I have not told anybody this yet, but I was like, don't lie to me. I want to oh start a farm. And she's like, oh my God, me too. Oh, then there was kismet after that. You guys were. And I said, well, yeah. but, but then I said specifically a regenerative agriculture farm. And she goes, oh, my God, me too. <laughs> uh, you know what they say, a match made in heaven, baby. You know. So how did you guys find your way down here to, to, to Austin? Yeah. No, it's your family. Yeah. Well, um, the name of the farm is Italian. Terra Pureza. Pureza. Huh? Yeah. So uh, in Italian, when two Zs are put next to each other, it's pronounced T-S. That's why we say pizza, not pizza. Oh, Terra Parezza? Parezza. That means like pure land or soil purity, pure soil. Oh. Uh, and because, you know, we believed in being surrounded by and promoting culture that focused on food and land and better health. And Tina had experience in Italy. And she also has a right to Polish citizenship. And so we had, we concocted this whole plan, like basically within three months that we were going to move to Italy, start a regenerative agriculture plan, but we are very practical logistical people and you cannot buy land in Italy unless you're an Italian citizen or at least an EU citizen. And so it's like, well, I guess we better get married so that I can become an <laughs> EU citizen and then we can buy land in Italy and of then course. we start this Makes agriculture sense. farm. Makes sense yeah. to me. So we decided that day that we would get married and three days later we got married. Isn't that that's <laughs> cool. That's just great. And so, so uh, we, were, we were marching on with this plan for six months and you know, I'm about a month away from leaving and my dad calls me and he says, hey, are you really going to Europe? And I'm like, yeah dad <laughs> and he says well why don't you come down to texas and spend some time with us like we you've been in graduate school we haven't really seen you for a while and i said no dad we've got this big plan it's a big dream we're going to do this thing and they, then he says well you know you're good at this stuff we we need some help and we think we think you could help us you know with some stuff and i'm like oh dear what is what does we need some help mean and he explains it to me and i turn to tina i go this could actually be a great thing. We could, we could go to Texas. I could help my parents. We could, you know, set them up from a retirement. We wouldn't have to worry about them for, you know, 20 years or however long they lived. Maybe we could pay off your student loans and then we could go to Europe. And uh, yeah, when we got here, just, it just seemed like the community, not just in Texas or the hill country, but across the world was waking up to the need to change agriculture and the way we eat and the way we produce food at large. And as soon as we just had casual conversations with people, 
they wanted to partner with us. And so an incredible number of opportunities opened up that we just could not ignore. And we just turned to each other and thought, well, maybe we should stay, you know, and, and develop the farm and Institute here. And we did. That's great. I've been to your place a long time ago. A few years ago, I came because I was just running out of stuff and missed the market. It's really beautiful. And you, um, You've got this thing going too with um, well. Let me let me get, let me do this. So, what's the difference between regenerative farming, agriculture, and organic? What's the difference? Mm. What's the difference? Yeah. That's a that's a great question. We get it a lot. We we are asked, okay, well, what's regenerative? What's organic? And what's sustainable? Mm-hmm. We used a lot interchangeably, and the the quickest snapshot to regenerate. It, to regenerative agriculture is that it's beyond organic. We're not just not using chemicals. We're not just not using pesticides and not degrading the earth. We're actually trying to rebuild soil health and habitat through our agricultural practices. And that's because we can no longer sustain where we are. We've degraded it so far below the standard of soil health that our earth used to enjoy we need to start rebuilding. It's not enough to just sustain because we're, we're too far gone at this point. And so regenerative agriculture uses methods where we intentionally impact the land with our animals to bring in nutrients and bring in that ability to restart the soil cycling of, of hmm. the different uh, nutrients that the biology needs. And then we let it rest while reseeding with native uh seeds and grasses and wildflowers and so we repeat that and we rotationally graze until we build up the soil organic matter and infiltration rate and a lot of other different tests and then we can bring in the maintainers which are your grazers and those ruminants will maintain those cycles once we build them back up so that's kind of the livestock approach to regenerative agriculture and then there's also the ability to do that once we've rebuilt the soil into vegetable production as well wow so that's like that's like taking sustainability to a whole other level, right? That's like yeah. really building. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it's it's almost even a disservice just to define ourselves as a regenerative agriculture farm because the if we put the whole story together succinctly, we we care about a lot of things. We care about the soil. We care about native habitat. We care about recharging the aquifers. We care about heritage breeds. We care about food waste. We care about climate change. And the way we've tried to tackle all of these simultaneously is to use these endangered and threatened heritage breeds to restore native habitat, as Tina just described. And we do that by feeding them food waste that we collect from four different whole food stores Hmm. that would otherwise go into a landfill and we collect that food waste using a zero emissions electric vehicle using a model ox which can haul a trailer so we put all that food waste into a trailer and we have the final piece of that puzzle is getting a solar carport so we will be doing all this on sunlight and in all of those in combination we tackle each of these so it's it's not just regenerative agriculture of the land it's not just trying to you know, save this thing or that thing to be sustainable in one section. It's trying to put together and change the whole narrative across the board. I think here's a a good moment to 
jump in and talk about one more aspect that we're really passionate about is we have this, uh, we heard this at a workshop that we attended right before we started the farm. And it's, you're not truly sustainable if you're not also financially sustainable. And so a lot of uh, our focus and a lot of our business model is built off of our own profits. We don't take outside investment. We believe that we need to show a model where farmers can actually do this without outside support. Um, Because that's a huge critique of organic, sustainable, a lot of these uh, businesses, which is, which is valid, but we want to show, we want to show, because we started with $38,000 in debt and a Prius. You know, we did have (laughs) the luck of a five acre homestead from Orion's parents. And that's where we were able to start and tinker and learn. Um, but outside of that, everything has been built off of business partnerships and relationships that we have fostered over the years and just our own work and turning every single penny of profit back into the farm so that we can keep it growing. Yeah, to me, it's so powerful spiritually, because I'm a spiritual geek, that you really are doing all these pieces that Orion, you talked about, you're doing it because you care about that. And that's what your life is. And you do it and you just do it. That's really powerful. You know, it's, it's unstoppable, in my opinion. Unstoppable. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. It, <clears throat> Tina and I weren't sure where this would all go, but we knew that we were incredibly passionate about these right. subjects to the point where I think Tina and I, I didn't sleep for like a week <laughs> when we first met because... <laughs> You know, we would be, you know, sleeping over at each other's houses and we would just be chattering, you know, all night. And then, you know, suddenly it's 2 a.m. and we were like, okay, we have to stop talking. We need to go to bed. You know, I've got, I have to teach a class tomorrow morning and you've got a test. (laughs) That's right. We got to stop this talking. You know, and then we'd be silent for, you know, five, 10 minutes and then somebody would be like, yeah, but hey, did, there's this one thing. And then we, you know, <laughs> talk for another hour, you know, and and it's it's that drive yeah. that keeps us going because farming and ranching for anybody that has never done it or grew up in it is almost indescribably hard work. Oh, I bet. I can imagine. The amount, the amount of logistics unpredictability equipment failures financial challenges marketing sales product the physical wear on your body you know each of those a usually farmers and ranchers have to do all of them you know unless they're selling into a commodity market which is still tough because in that market the margins are so small Hmm that any type of production of food is incredibly difficult and a lot of work. And so, you know, we, we didn't, we didn't have a farm. We didn't inherit a farm. We had to start a farm from scratch with no land, except for these five acres, which are on a hill, rocky hilltop with caliche subsoil because all the topsoil has eroded away over 150 years of overgrazing. So it's like, that was one of the other reasons that we stayed where it's like we are purporting that regenerative agriculture can reverse desertification and turn a lot of these dry lands 
and reverse that trend and make them lush grassland again? Well, there's no better place to do that than Central Texas or other dry areas of the world. So Southern South America, Africa, Australia, Southwest United States or Southwest North America, lots of regions that are suffering from this desertification process, usually because of agriculture and overgrazing. And so, yeah, we had to do that here on our little homestead. Hmm. Then we were invited to do that on other ranches here in the hill country. And luckily it, it worked, you know, because we had never done it before. So there was a bit of faith involved that these things that we thought would work could actually do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. We could go down the rabbit hole of like the nuances of how those things work, but it's, it's an incredible amount of work. And it's been trial and error as well. Like there are aspects of our farm that we did a different way and then it learned that it wouldn't work that way and we've had to adjust. And so it's it's very much a responding and, and watching your land and watching your systems and always being open to critique and improvement. You know, you really can't have an ego going into this yep. because it'll get beat out of you really quickly. Yeah, you'll, <laughs> you'll lose it real quick, you know. Um, uh, so... Um, it's so cool too that you have two of you to really play off one another and to talk about it and say well what about this that's very powerful too you know it's like to me when you do that one and one is like 12 you know rather than two i really you know of course oh, yeah, I'm, a, I, I'm a hopeful romantic so I, that's just the way i think about things like that you know yeah. oh we couldn't tell at all <laughs> <laughs> well, you couldn't it, tell. It, it's also um you're right it, it's like 12 it they're it's the amount that you can accomplish is greater than the sum of two of you. It just, yeah. um, and so, um, one of the things that, you know, when we're invited to give a talk or teach a workshop or all these things, one of the things we talk about are partnerships and those are partnerships on multiple levels. Those are partnership with, you know, some sort of lifelong partner. Those mm -hmm. are business partnerships. Those are partnerships with friends that want to help. Um, and this is where it might get into a bit of the spiritual for you, but um, you really have to show up and and care for those partnerships, which can take a lot of different forms. Yeah. But mainly it's on, you know, having authentic integrity with the way you connect with all of these people. Um, so it's like, sure, are we are we a farm that's trying to change agriculture? and promote regenerative agriculture yes and so we are singing its praises but when we are talking to a, a landowner that wants to invite us onto the land we also have to show up and like make it happen um which can be dependent on the weather it can be dependent on a lot of things and um when we make a promise to a farmer's market so you know running a farmer's market is quite difficult we know because we started a farm in Spicewood, Texas. And when we started the farm, Spicewood did not have a farmer's market. So with Tina's sister, we thought, okay, well, I guess we have to start a farmer's market too. And we did. <laughs> and so we started, the Spicewood, we started the Pedernales Farmer's Market in Spicewood and it has grown. And so whenever you, the reason, what I'm getting at is that like, um, caring for all of these relationships that you form, which are almost based on promises and expectations and especially in the business realm you got to show up for that you got to care for those you can't just you sure. know 
say, oh, that's not working for me right now. I'm, I'm going to ignore that or change my mind. It's like farming has a reputation of integrity for a reason. And the intent, you know, and the, and the showing up and the doing what you agree to do with people and the integrity in that of all the relationships, whether you two and, you know, your whatever. It's very powerful. It's important. A lot of work, right? Boy, you just got to stay focused, man. Ooh. I guess you don't spend a lot of time surfing on the interweb. Uh, Tina and Orion Weldon are here from Terra Pureza. Do I say it right now? Terra Pureza. Terra Pureza. See, I never, I didn't get that. You know, of course, pizza is, is like that. And uh, so you're in two farmers markets now? Do you do just the two? The one that I go to, dripping, and then the Pernellis? Yeah, and we've been invited to a lot more. I, I bet you have. You just can't don't do have it. enough product to supply more than two it's, right now. It's a pretty, it's, it's a beautiful problem to have because the demand outstrips the supply here where we are for meat of this quality, you know? And so one of the things that we really love about that aspect is that it's farmers have a very, I help you, you help me. We talk, we share trade, trade secrets right. or rather don't have them, right? We're like, how can I help you with what you're struggling with and how can you help me? Um, and it's it's really nice because the better that we all do, the better everyone does. It, it's a it's a boat that really does elevate all all together. Yeah. And so there isn't a com- there is very little comp- actual competition in our community, sure. and that's that's a good thing. So why pigs? Is this- why pigs? I mean, I mean pigs. That's oh, crazy. Okay. I mean, why would you know? Who knows from pigs? You know, <laughs> they're big and they're <laughs> it's like what? <laughs> why pigs? Yeah. Go ahead. You want to take this? One? Yeah. Well, there's there's a lot of ways to answer that. Um, there's a lot of reasons. There are, there are a lot of reasons. The one that I'll start with is that um, if you go to a grocery store, pretty much any grocery store, even Whole Foods Market, you will not find pork like ours on the shelf. No way. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. Pigs doing pigs correctly, doing pigs the way that we do, is incredibly hard work, and very few people are willing to do it. Um, and there are some really amazing small farms that do it like like us very similarly to us but uh it's just it's difficult you know pigs take a lot of hands-on labor they're Mm. omnivores they eat as we eat they have the same digestive tract there's a reason that you use pig heart valves in in heart surgery right because they're the same as as we have and the same goes for their digestion which means they can't just eat the grass they need a varied diet they need meat they need they need fruits and vegetables they need all these things that um, hmm. that we can provide them because of our unique food waste program. Um, but most of the pork that is fed today and, and on the shelves is just corn and soy-based feed pigs. Even if they're on pasture, they're being supplemented with that feed. And ours is unique because we pick up all the food waste that would otherwise go and fill up a landfill, and we use that to to feed our heritage breed pigs. And the meat, you can taste it in the meat, you can you can feel it in their health and their happiness. Uh, so, so the idea that since they're not ruminants like cows, right? Since they're right. just they're pigs and they just have a digestion like we do, whatever you feed them goes right into the food, right? Mm-hmm. So you know you are what you eat and you are what the pigs eat. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that you just tapped on exactly why we started with chickens and pigs. Mm. Both of those animals are monogastric stomached animals. Right. Singular stomach. They, 
you know, masticate the food in some way and birds is with a gizzard and mammals it's with our teeth and our mouth. While ruminants are not that way, they have a multi-chambered fermenting stomach to extract the nutrients out of grasses. And if you don't have the grasses to feed them, you are not going to be financially sustainable. You're going to have to buy hay. And, you know, if you're not starting with a boatload of money, you're not going to make it, you know, with heat prices up and down and all over the place. Now they're, they're elevated now, but a few years ago, they were quite low. And we are also dealing with uh, damaged, desertified land, as I described before. And the question is, how do you return nutrients to that soil with just ruminants? And so there's this like catch-22 that a lot of ranchers run into where it's like, sure, I want to do, you know, high-intensity rotational grazing, but there's not enough grass there for me to do that. How, do, how am I going to do that if the grass isn't there to begin with? And that's where we come in. We use the chickens and the pigs, feeding them feed or food waste from Whole Foods to return the nutrients to the land. Then we reseed, as Tina described, and then we come in with the ruminants afterwards. And so the pigs are a tool Hmm. to return nutrients to the land, but also to break up a lot of the hard cap and surface sealing that can happen with dry soils. Very it cool. Allows, yeah. yeah, it allows the seeds to germinate more effectively. It allows moisture to get into the ground more effectively. Um, and so there's the financial reason as well that there is a lot more yield from a pig in terms of prime cuts than there is from a cow. 50% of the meat of a cow usually goes into ground beef. Only like 20 or 30% of a pig goes into ground pork. So there are a lot more prime cuts. And so because we started with debt, we needed to be profitable from day one. Wow. And that meant chicken pigs. And, you know, if you're doing cows, that's a two-year delay until you get your return on your investment. We didn't have that money. We couldn't last two years with (laughs) that sort of thing. So we needed to make money now. Yeah. So, so, and to tie it all up in a neat bow for me on the nutrition side, you we have un- unfortunately in America really demonized pork as an unhealthy meat. And that's really not I fair. I know, they have. Poor piggies. You, you know, they got a bad rap. rap. They need, they need some PR rap. people, you know what I mean? Thanks to <laughs> well, here we are. I'm going to do it right here with you. Okay. Um, so pork is actually, the, the lard from pig fat um, is the highest vitamin D containing hmm. food that, that can come outside of the ocean. <laughs> Um, so in the ocean, the fish have higher vitamin D contents, but any uh, land roaming animal, pigs have the highest vitamin D content in their lard, in their fat. So that's great because we know that vitamin D is so important for over 300 different processes in the body, including hormone synthesis, which just really extrapolates its effect. So vitamin D is super important. Pork is really high. Pasture-raised, healthy pork is very high in vitamin D. And the other thing that people don't know about is that uh Pork is also really high in omega-9 uh, oleic acid, which is also really high in olive oil. Hmm. So the thing that makes olive oil heart healthy is the same thing that makes pork heart healthy. Hmm. Um, in addition to just being a very, you know, protein rich, obviously it's meat and uh, collagen rich. If you make bone broth with the bones, it actually has more collagen content when you make pork bone broth versus beef bone broth. So there are a lot of um, Good stuff. unhappy. Yeah. Yeah 
awesome uh, qualities to pork, especially pasture-raised pork that people just don't appreciate or know about. I had a pork chop from you two days ago, and boy, just, man, it was just, wow. And I asked, Orion, I asked Orion the other day, uh, a few weeks ago, because I don't like to cook the meat too much, and I just like it really rare. And I said, is it okay if I can do that with pork? Because you know what they say with pork, if you don't cook the pants off it, it'll kill you, you know? And what'd you tell me? What did you say? I, it, I mean, it's just not true. It's just not true. You can, you can yeah. With I mean, healthy pork. Wow. With pork, you with can good pork. Yeah, yeah the, with good pork. The, the reason there has been developed this mantra of like, oh, you have to cook the pork all the way through right. is because of the industrial movement of, you know, raising animals in these concentrated animal feed operations, capos, is that, yeah. you know, you take that ground pork from these facilities and, you know, they're, they're rampant with bacteria, you know, the prominence of parasites, especially tapeworms, mm. you know, high in there. And so they were saying that to kill all the bacteria and to kill all the parasites, well, we don't really have to worry about parasites because of the rotational grazing. Wow. The shortest parasitic lifestyle is two weeks. Well, we rotate every week or every two weeks. And so there's just not really a risk of a tapeworm or any parasite like that because we are sending it off just a couple of pigs at a time to a USDA inspected facility. And then we are hiring a private butcher to break down that pig in, you know, a private commercial kitchen. We don't have the risks that of, of bacteria contamination that these big factory processors have. Interesting. And so when people have never tried a pork chop or pork steak medium rare, they're missing out. Yeah. Because when you overcook it, you just lose a lot of the taste, don't you? I think so. It just well, know. yeah. There's yeah. the there's the taste. There's the texture. There's the there's everything about it. There's the mouth feel, and that's you know piggybacking on what Tina said. The biggest difference when you are cutting off a piece of pork and you put it in your mouth is the mouth feel. When you have pigs, especially the fat that are raised on corn and soy, the fat is soft. It doesn't taste very good. And mm. when it's in your mouth, it kind of coats your mouth in this weird way that is not pleasant. <laughs> That's right. And so that turns a lot of people off to pork. And our the fat of our pork is pure white. It's really dense. And when you put it in your mouth, you're biting through it and it feels like it's part of the meat. It doesn't coat yes. your mouth with anything. I, I, and if I can jump in and sure. get a little nerdy on that, I can tell you what's going on molecularly speaking with yeah. that mouthfeel of the fat. So when, when pigs are fed corn and soy, corn is really high in your omega-6s. And if you know a little bit about nutrition, you want to balance, you want to have more omega-3s than omega-6s in your diet because the omega-3s are your essential fatty acids. But corn and soy-based diets, whether you're eating it directly or through your animal proteins, um, animal omega-6s are very inflammatory to the body and a lot of inf inflammation that is the root cause for heart disease and other issues in, in today's society come from an overabundance of omega-6 in our diet. And so omega-6 is actually a really loose oil. Um, and that's what kind of that, that fat in the pig is literally just too much omega-6 because it's eaten too much corn and it's going to just melt instead of stay firm and nice. And so when we work with fine dining chefs 
who are evaluating and looking at our pork very intently and, and giving us feedback. They're like, the thing that stands out to me about your pork is how well your fat stays together. It's like the fat is almost a part of the meat. They, they know right? it, it right? They know it. The, the good chefs know it. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting you say that about, you know, the poofas, the really bad stuff, the canola, the corn, and all those oils are very high sixes, and they're high in linoleic acid, right? Which right. is not good stuff. And we had uh, we have Dr. Ray Pete on, a PhD, 85 years old, you guys, and he's on the show once a month. And he was telling me that pigs that are fed like you are feeding them, which is rare, they're very low in linoleic acid. The poofas, very low. Very low. They're like down with the olive oil range in 10% or something, which is really cool because when they feed them, as you say, when you feed them the, the corn and soy and stuff like that, it's, it's, it's like, you know, not, it's not good for you. Not good. Yeah. Isn't that cool? When he told me it's that, really I said, cool. man, I, I, I got a pig place you should go see. I got a pig place. <laughs> and, yeah, and it was an incredible moment for us because we don't come from ag backgrounds that we knew that these methods would probably produce high-quality meat. But it was a leap of faith, especially in the beginning. All right. And how would you know? You know, that? sure, it tastes good to me, but I'm not a professional fine dining chef. And for me, it was it was the moment that we delivered our first whole hog to the restaurant, and the chef, who all he has to do is he has to look at he, he just kind of like glances over the entire carcass, immediately goes to the fat back, just takes his finger, presses the fat back, and he's like wow this is really good isn't it interesting he's cutting it but he, he knew says, that how would he know that <laughs> i guess he doesn't know it. because he knows yeah. everything yeah. that we just discussed that it's like the quality he, of the fat is what makes it. the pig and so yeah. he he then serves it and cooks it later after breaking it down he's like this is the best product i've ever worked with in my career isn't that fun i've been uh we're talking with uh, tina and orion uh weldon patrick tempone one radio network.com um uh, I've been studying a lot about the carnivore diet thing, you know, lately, the last mm -hmm. few months, and I think there's really something to it, heavy on the meat and getting rid of some of the things that are causing issues, you know, like grains, you know. Anyway, um, but they're, all the real carnivore people are saying that this fat is real critical when you're just doing the muscle meats. You know, it's really critical to have fat, too, in there. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. You think yeah. that's true? Anyways, the fat yeah, well, the fat is where the cholesterol ring is, is going to be based, right? Mm -hmm. You just and stole it from me, yeah. <laughs> you stole it? Oh, yeah, he knows all this just because of me. That's it. <laughs> uh, so the cholesterol ring, cholesterol ring is the base synthesis ring for all of your hormones, all of your fat-based vitamins, your A, your D, your E, all of those vitamins, including all of your hormones, are based on the cholesterol ring. If you're not intaking enough cholesterol, you know, you're not going to synthesize vitamin D if you sit in the sun all day. Make you need ones. that in yeah. your skin. You need that in your body to process. And, and sure, your liver can produce some cholesterol, produce a baseline, but it will not produce enough for optimal health. You have to eat cholesterol and healthy cholesterol sources. Yeah, baby, so if my cholesterol that, gets below 250, man, I, I said, okay, I need more, you know, because I, that's yeah. why, yeah, that's why I like it. I like it. I like it, 250. And, you know. <laughs> just to kind of reiterate that point, that, because I, I grew up, eating terribly did you like i i grew up low income and i survived on school lunches <laughs> i'm not kidding good like, for you <laughs> and, and yeah and so i didn't know anything i didn't know anything about food and hmm. you know but i heard that oh you know too much cholesterol blah 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 
So the moment Tina told me, she's like, no, cholesterol is not bad. It is literally the base molecular ring for all of these things. And of course, the light bulb goes off and I'm like, Whoa. are you serious? <laughs> are you saying- cholesterol is the base molecular structure for all of our hormones. Yes, it is. For all of these vitamins. And, and we're being told that we need to eat margarine and not butter because of cholesterol. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's sad. And, it, it's and, and so suddenly my mind goes, no wonder we are having issues. all these ailments. That's right. Brain issues, heart issues, autoimmune issues. It's like if you, don't, if you do not have the balance of hormones to balance your body because you're missing the essential ingredients to make those things no wonder we're so unhealthy no wonder. and now kids as you know they're I'm kids i'm just calling you kids and now you know that they're putting these guys on statins which d- drives their cholesterol to 130 or 140 and they can't even make testosterone and then they give them uh, you know uh pills to, so they can you know have sex it's crazy what what's going on with this cholesterol thing and it started mm-hmm. long ago remember with framingham what uh, how, how you know years ago it's Framingham study. Oh, don't get me started. Yeah, what a what a disaster that oh, thing was. Yeah, you know. Well, my mom um, actually like she she made me read the China study book, and she mm-hmm. she really promoted a lot like macrobiotics and mm-hmm. and all those things. But you know, we most of the human population is not designed for such diets, at least especially not long term. You know, they can have beneficial health effects in the short term for therapeutic purposes, and I'm not going to deny that. But long term, it is my understanding and from my knowledge and my training that nobody should be on a meat-free diet long term. It is not healthy. Yeah, I almost think so. So before we so, leave, let's talk. Yeah, to, go uh, ahead, Orion. Go on, ahead. Patrick, That's right. We've been skipping over a bit of the training. Tina has a, a bachelor of science in diet, dietetics. That's where this knowledge is coming ah, from. I see. Plus, you know, directly, but indirectly, I love that I have that background for. But you know, when you're with a woman as cute as she is, you're just going to believe her. I mean, I would, you know. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Hey, so before we go, I wish we could stay longer. I've got so many questions, but you guys got to go. Let's talk a little bit about uh, chickens and eggs. Um, How do you? I'm going to order some eggs online from you for tomorrow. What uh, what do you how do you get your eggs so there are you really yellow really really great eggs how do you do that? Well, uh, first of all, when you open up a carton of our eggs, we did something that was just pleasant for people to enjoy, and that's that you open it up and it's like it's it's like Easter every <laughs> time you open it up with so many different colors. We have blue eggs and green eggs and purple eggs and brown eggs and white eggs and we purposefully make it a variety and the reason we have so many colors is because we have so many heritage breeds of hens we have 30 different breeds wow. of hen uh, and some of them are threatened breeds uh-huh. uh, and so we, we start there uh, when you have those heritage breeds generally their lay rate is not quite as amped up as the industrial breed so there's 365 days in a year, and a lot of the industrial breeds are pushing up past 330 eggs annually. So that's almost an egg a day. Um, so it's slightly slower in that way. And then the main thing is the nutrient density of the egg comes from rotating those hens on native pasture. So we feed them certified organic layer feed from Coyote Creek Organic Feed Mill. Yeah. 
And the quality of that organic feed is not just high quality because of the or organic ingredients. It's that generally organic feed producers are working with a nutritionist who is not afraid to use trace vitamins and trace minerals, which are more expensive and adds to the cost. So the formulation of the feed is a higher quality plus the organic ingredients. And when you combine that with the birds being exposed to fresh pasture every week or two, they get on that fresh pasture. We open the doors of that chicken coop. They come flooding out and they just run around. We call it chicken rugby run around trying to find every cricket, grasshopper, earthworm, springtail, caterpillar. And it's the natural calcium and nutrient density of those insects that are around that make the yolk so uh, dark, so dark, yellow. Almost Can you discern the difference with the eggs when we have a lot of rain, which we're going to get soon because I'm talking to the angels, um, and then have you have more crickets and bugs you think there's an improvement even then when you can do less feed? Uh, I mean, they will self-regulate their feed intake based on the weather patterns and right. what they're getting on that particular patch. Um, we, I would say that if it were, for example, for a longer drought that we've been experiencing now, yeah. absolutely, it's, we are seeing a difference and they're, they're eating more of the feed because they don't have as much yeah. in the pasture to, to grab. Um, but it's, it's a longer term, like, it doesn't fluctuate week to, week to week, for example. But if we're having like a long three-month lack of rain, we might see it. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually say the biggest thing is seasonal. So in the spring green up, a lot larger percentage of their nutrition is going to be coming from the insects and larvae from the pasture mm. rather than mm. in the driest part of the summer or in the coldest part of the winter. We have a guest on the first uh, or the, let's see, the fourth uh, Monday Dr. Jennifer Daniels, she's an MD that got kicked out of New York for being too natural, and she got tired of people knocking on her door with sunglasses, you know, giving her a hard time, you know, that story, uh, nutritionally, because uh, she just didn't want to do the drugs. And she's a, man, she's a big pig person. She's recommending pig's feet and pig jowls and pig's uh, mm -hmm. ham hocks and all the time to people, and the, and the that's what she does. People call up and she, that's what she tells them to do. For collagen, yeah. you should see her. She looks like she's about 20, you know, and she's, I think, 60, you know. Just, I mean, you look fantastic, Patrick. I, I, I look, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm almost 76, too, you know. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, I know, I know. 76. Well, but I do, I think the fat is good and the collagen is really important, you know. It really is. And it's not just pigs, you know, the, oh, the no. quality of yeah. the chicken fat is also one of the things that we have discussions about with chefs and customers um, to the point where we have to uh, reassure the customers that this chicken will not only taste differently and better, but it will withstand different cooking techniques because with an industrial chicken, the skin is so thin and devoid of ah, lipids. Yeah that it often breaks, it overcooks, it doesn't taste very good, it dries out. Our chicken skin can withstand a lot higher temperatures and crisps up differently than an industrial chicken because of the quality of the chicken fat. The chicken fat is also not pure white. It's yellow as it should be because it has that nutrient diversity from the oh, pasture and that's great. the chicken. I love your chicken wings, boy. They're, they're poo, man, I, I love those puppies. And Dr. Daniels is always telling people, now, 
don't do these boneless, skinless chicken things at the store. Don't eat that stuff, you know, without, yeah. the, without the skin. Yeah. Uh, I mean, boneless, skinless chicken breasts is still our highest seller because people, hey, people want the really, opinions. That, that oh, fat yeah, thing is yeah. still around, right? I mean, people, I mean, look at, look at Whole Foods and almost every yogurt is low fat. I mean, they're still on this thing. It's like, I don't understand. Yeah. And that's mainly, I'd say that's mostly consumer, it's just consumer consumer, driven at this point because they've been so indoctrinated into this is what I need to do to stay healthy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, kids, I know you got to go. And uh, so thanks for being here. What fun. Let me do a couple couple quick pictures before you go. This is, is this the food that you get from Whole Foods? Yeah, that's it. So those are... 24 gallon rubber made bins and we place those bins after they've been cleaned and power washed back into the different departments of whole foods and they fill them with everything that would go into the trash wow. uh, so and just in this one picture that very first bin in the bottom left of the picture right. is from the prepared foods department mm-hmm. oh um, <laughs> and that basically at the end of the day there's the cold bar salad bar line and there's the hot bar line well you know because of health regulations they they are required to throw that out at the end of the night wow but because that food has not yet touched a human mouth we are allowed to legally feed it to our pigs and it's just incredible food like this is literally the eggplant parmesan this is the (laughs) rice pilaf this is the beef stroganoff that people would be eating and we feed it to the pigs. Isn't that fascinating? Uh, next in over is from the produce department. Those are avocados, tomatoes, citrus, greens that you know might be a little bit soft or have a blemish, and so they throw it out because wow. it's just not going to sell. Wow. We talk about indoctrination. We want perfect veggies, and those that in this picture, some for some reason I don't know, didn't make the cut, and so we get them. So uh, just before we sign off, I know we're running out of time, but. Um, What's really important is that we we let everybody know that this is food waste. So not only is it pre-consumer food waste, it is post-food bank food waste. So the stuff ah. that we feed to the pigs is not actually legally donatable. So after they've donated what they legally can to food banks for humans who need this food, uh, we get the rest. Um, and so it's just it's important that we say that because yeah, uh, some we, people say, we well, you're eating the food bank. Yeah. Why not give it to the people? Yeah, I yeah. get that. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. And also, here's a quick little shot. Who's that fellow with the dark T-shirt on in the hat? What's his name? <laughs> <laughs> that is Willie Nelson himself. And what kind of relationship and do you have with Willie? His arm is around Tina and his wife, Annie Nelson. And the reason we are in this picture is because we didn't know it, but Annie Nelson had been buying our products for years and feeding the family. And one day towards the beginning of the pandemic, she invited us to visit the ranch. And she just told us that she had kind of secretly been watching us and wanted to make sure that we did what we said we did (laughs) in terms of, you know, regenerating the land and producing high quality foods. And she saw that we were legit and invited us to move our entire operation onto Luck Ranch, which is Willie's place. Oh, so you moved everything from where I visited you to Willie's place? Yeah. So our entire operation, except for some of the meat chickens still here on the homestead, all of the pigs, all of the sheep, all of the egg laying hens are on Willie Nelson's ranch. Isn't that, I didn't, and where is that? Was it near where you were? It's here in Spicewoods, just down the highway. I see. 
And then to protect the chickens and the pigs from, pigs don't really have predators, <laughs> do they? You got doggies too. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. On the uh, right is a Belgian Tervuren. That's a breed of herding dog. And on the left is a Polish Tatra from <laughs> Poland, where Tina's from. And uh, they are amazing livestock guardian dogs. And we're one of the few breeders in the United States. Uh-huh. And, oh, and you, oh, are you going to breed those dogs? You breed, you're gonna breed? We, we have. We've had two litters so far. Um, and, oh. and we do breed them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then coming soon to uh, Terra Puritza near you. Lammies, you're gonna do lammies. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we are looking forward to getting a herd of about sixty sheep before we really start uh, selling the meat at the farmers market. So oh. we have a uh, probably a couple of years to go before we're ready to sell the lamb meat, but it's coming. Uh-huh. Is it uh, these days? Is it easy to find people to help you, like uh, on the farm? And is it hard? Is that a challenge to find good people? Yeah, I would say that um, like everyone, especially post-pandemic, it is labor is a challenging aspect, but I'd say it's always been a challenge for us, mainly because I think people are really out of touch with physical work yeah. and what it, <laughs> it takes to be working not at a desk in front of a screen. Uh, and that's understandable, but our work is very much labor-intensive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we try to make it manageable and, and fun, but it's your hands-on, you know, you're working on a farm. There's no way around that uh and so so that's difficult and then it's also not just straight up rope manual labor um our systems are are nuanced you have to respond to changing dynamics you're working with animals you're moving animals you have to be good about reading animal behavior you know we're not just our animals are not in cages you're up close and personal you know they get pig back scratches and we move them uh from place to place and so having that comfort and workability with animals is, is also something that people don't often have anymore. And so finding people with that interest, that ability, um, and that skill set is not the easiest. Yeah. But we do have a great team in place right now that we're really grateful for. And we've had many wonderful past employees that have moved on to other things. And so it's just a constant uh, revolving door. <laughs> well, if you want if you want a uh, great job and talk to them and go to uh, terrapiritza.com, and email them and tell them you want to come work for the farm and play with the pigs. All right, kids, it's just really been an honor to have you here. Thank you so much. It was great, uh, great fun. And and um, next time we come on, we'll have the baby too because I was I thought we were going to see the baby, but no, babies, <laughs> babies at school, yeah. right? The babies at school. We'll see babies if, at school. We'll yeah. see if maybe on a weekend. But he he goes to a Montessori school now, so he wasn't able to be yeah. here today. Yeah. All right. Well, I love you both. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great day. You you take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right. So, great fun, huh? What do you think, huh? Isn't that fun? Yeah, really nice people. And if you're in the Dripping Springs area, well, you can come visit them at the Dripping Springs Farmer's Market. Or from Houston to Dallas, come on down. We're on Wednesday, and you get yourself some piggy stuff. Well, I'm going to go, and I'm going to order some uh, eggs from them and pick them up tomorrow, which um, I'm going to do. Well, I'm going to see you tomorrow. We'll be here at 10 o'clock. We're going to have some fun, and we're going to uh, talk about stuff, stuff, and uh, thanks for being here. Take care of yourself. I love you all very much, and we will see you tomorrow at 10 o'clock on OneRadioNetwork.com. And let me know if I can help. My email, Patrick, at OneRadioNetwork.com. May the blessings be. 
Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.